Hello, Watkinsville. Good morning to you. And I want to say to you right at the beginning that we continue to try to find things that will keep us connected, even though we're not able to meet together physically right now. And we've done something like this before, but I think there's a really critical time that would be good for us to try this again. And that would be for you to take your phones, your clocks, your, your watches, whatever you might could put a reminder on, whatever you could set an alarm on, and set it for 516. Some of you, uh, that would be 516 a.m. Some of you, that would be 516 p.m. You may want to do both. But at that moment, when your reminder goes off, uh, it would be a chance for us to pause and pray. And knowing that our uh, community of faith, our church family is praying together. And I say 516 because of James 516. And that verse says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And a faithful prayer of a righteous man, the fervent, faithful prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so it would be a chance for us to all together, same time each day, to pray for one another. I hope that you would do that and participate in that in the days ahead. Uh, now, another thing I want to ask you to do as we get started, you see I've got here uh, in front of me my own set of Tinker Toys. And I want to invite you in your home, uh, in your house, your den, maybe you have kids around, family around, to pull out some Legos, to pull out some Lincoln Logs. I, I don't know what your version of building toys is in your day. For me, it was Tinker Toys. And maybe it'd be a chance for your kids right at your feet to build something. I hope this doesn't cause more trouble than it's worth. But maybe they could build something while we work through this message in Nehemiah. And I bet what's going to happen is right in front of you, you're going to see a lot of the principles from Nehemiah played out right there. And as we talk about rebuilding things for the glory of God, you may see that. Uh, what we've taught already come true in front of you. Uh, one of those is just being patient. You might find yourself saying, hey, y'all be patient, y'all be patient, or uh, some opposition or some distractions. The dog may run through at any moment and, and knock over what's been built. Or it may be an opportunity there for a group project where some of you come together to work. And, but just a, a way to think about what's going on in this study of Nehemiah, and I bet somewhere in the message today, you'll observe in that building or rebuilding session what our main truth is today from Nehemiah 8 and 9. And uh, so let's open our Bibles. If you need to hit pause for just a second, that's one of the gifts of being at home right now. You could hit pause and go find those uh, building toys and then start again. But we're in Nehemiah chapter 9 and chapter 10. And here's the truth today that I want to add to our theme of rebuilding. It's this. Rebuilding projects are ultimately soul projects. Uh, rebuilding projects are ultimately soul projects. Some point, if you've brought out the building toys... Uh, you're going to maybe see some things built that I'd love to get a picture of. I'd love to see you post it online and, and see some great builds with Legos or Tinker Toys. But somewhere in the midst of that, you may find yourself, say, yourself saying, 
they're a really good builder, but there's some, there's some issues there. There's some soul work that needs to be done. There's a little bit of pride. There's a little bit of anger. There's a little bit of selfishness going on. And the reality is, is that those are the things that God's really working on in us when we're rebuilding things that are broken. A lot of our rebuilding does relate to material things and physical things. But we cannot miss the fact that when God is at work and it's about his glory and his name, that the ultimate piece of this is not physical and not material, but it's spiritual. It's soul work. God is wanting to do something. I've heard people say in years past that building projects don't cause problems. Building projects reveal problems. And that's a lot of what happens when we are burdened for something to rebuild. Uh, we discover that there's some things there that God really needs to do in our own soul. And the really hard work is heart work. The really hard work of rebuilding is heart work. And that's, what, uh, that, that's, that's where we need the Spirit of God. That's where we need the Word of God. That's where we need God to break through and do the heart work in us when we're rebuilding things. Now, uh, we're going to find ourselves in places where we're rebuilding careers. You're going to find yourself in a place, some of you are rebuilding your finances. Some of you are rebuilding a marriage. Some of you are rebuilding uh, a relationship that you have and a lot of different things. Some of you are rebuilding your health in these days. The reality is we didn't know this when we started in Nehemiah seven weeks ago. But in the days ahead, in a lot of ways, we're going to be rebuilding our nation. Uh, we're going to be re rebuilding some things that uh, we thought were uh, secure, we thought were safe. But now we find ourselves in a place where we've got to rebuild. And, and when we think about even rebuilding our nation in the weeks ahead, we, we've kind of pulled apart right now. But as we rebuild, and when we're rebuilding, i got to ask the question, are we going to allow God to do the soul work that he needs to do in our nation as our nation kind of puts itself back together, and even as our world puts itself back together? And so I ask this question, will there be a revival in our rebuilding? Will our rebuilding in our marriage, in our health, will that be the grounds for God to bring a great revival in our soul, in our heart? Will it bring a revival in our nation? And I would imagine that many of you are praying for that very thing and believing for that very thing, that as we rebuild our nation physically and materially, that God would do the work in us. We would allow God to do the work in us to, uh, to, to bring revival to our soul, to rebuild our relationship with him. So let's look together at Nehemiah chapter 9 and chapter 10. And I, it's hard for me to even believe, I, I guess I should be accustomed to this, when you're preaching through books of the Bible, how many times God knows exactly where we need to be on the calendar when we get there. And that's the case for Nehemiah 9 and 10. And we find in Nehemiah 9 and 10 a blueprint for rebuilding the soul. I believe it's a, re, it's a blueprint for me to rebuild the things that are broken in my life. It's a blueprint 
for you to rebuild the things that are broken in your life. It's a blueprint even for our nation. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how it works into the fabric of our nation. Maybe it's one by one by one by one who rebuilds in this way. But it is a blueprint for rebuilding the soul even of a nation. And, and it's here in Nehemiah. And it's, it's the people of uh, Israel not just rebuilding walls, but now doing spiritual work. And, and it, it plays out in these chapters. I want to read not all of 9 and 10. We're not going to do that. hope you'll do that maybe before. Uh, you've, you've already done that before. Maybe you'll do that uh, this afternoon or in the days ahead. But let me give you the context by just reading the first three verses and a couple of other verses Uh, Verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 9 says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves. I can't believe those two words are in this text right here. Uh, for this morning, but uh, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worship the Lord, their God. Now, look in verse 6 and verse 7. Verse 6 and verse 7. This is the beginning of a prayer by the people who were gathered on that day. He says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, And the host of heaven worships you. Just in those verses and and a few verses that follow, we have this blueprint for rebuilding the soul. The first piece to rebuilding the soul that we see from the children of Israel uh, is, is this. They worshiped God's goodness. They worshiped God's let me, let, me, let me change that. Let me say, they worship God's greatness. Uh, they, they worship God's greatness. Uh, when you work through these verses, chapter 9, chapter 10, what happens is, is that in their uh, gathering, they are worshiping. Uh, they're praying. They're standing. They're reading the word. They're blessing the Lord. They're offering praise to God. They're acknowledging his character. They're remembering who he has been in their past. They are recognizing what he's done in their past. And as they work through it, they begin to show that their history is really his story. And that's what's true in our life. When we work back through our life and we kind of start at the beginning and from wherever we can remember and work forward, uh, we can see that the history of our life really is his story in our life. And God's been writing this story, and, and it's here in Nehemiah chapter 9. In Nehemiah chapter 9, let me just give you the words, the titles, the names, the attributes that they lift up in this time of worship. 
Think about this is who our God is. This is the greatness of the God you worship. He's the creator. He says, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven. And then he goes on. He says, you've made the heaven of heavens. You've made the earth. You've made all that's on it, the seas and all that is in them. Every bit of our worship starts right there. God created us. God made us. What we see, what we look around us and observe, uh, he's the creator. He's made it. But he goes on from there and he says he's our sustainer. He, he speaks of how in this prayer that God made everything, but then notice how God takes care of it. He says, and you preserve all of them. Good news today to us to know not only is God the creator of all things, but also he's the sustainer of all things. And even in these days where things have been so rattled, we don't have to be shaken because God is still on his throne. God is the sustainer. He is the preserver. He is watching and he is aware. He's, and he's worshipped for this by, these, uh, by the, the people of Israel in this day. And it, it gives us what we can worship about him. We keep working through chapter 9 and you find that he's the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the redeemer. It says he chose Abraham. He, he began to work this plan of redemption, of bringing people back to him in reconciliation, in redemption. He's the creator, sustainer, redeemer. We find in verse 8 that he's the promise keeper. We find in verse 10, I'm going to move through these pretty rapidly, but we find in verse 10 that he's the miracle worker. We find that he's the provider in verse 15. We find that he's the forgiver in verse 17. We find that he is gracious in verse 17, that he is merciful in verse 17. In fact, verse 17 is so powerful we don't need to skip over it let me just make sure we read it It says they um, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt but you are a God listen to this you are a God ready to forgive gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them and so when we're thinking about worshiping God, we're saying he's the creator, sustainer, redeemer, promise keeper, miracle worker, provider. And then verse 17 tells us he's the forgiver, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. Now, you're alone in your house, you're alone in your car, you're out on the deck, don't miss who your great God is. And that's not the end of it. We see that he's faithful in verse 17. In verse 25, it tells us that God is good. And in verse 28, we see that God is a deliverer. They read the book for a quarter of the day. They worshiped and confessed for a quarter of the day. They, they expressed their worship personally and corporately. And all of these attributes of God for us today, we realize that they are fulfilled also in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ, our creator, sustainer, redeemer, promise keeper, miracle worker, provider, forgiver, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithful, good, deliverer. That's who Jesus Christ is. He is God in the flesh. He is God who has came and walked this earth and he lived without sin. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. He went to the grave and was buried And he rose again on the third day. And he is today the King of kings and Lord of lords. Ruling and reigning. He is God in the flesh. We see see God's greatness. If you're going to do the rebuilding work that goes beyond just physical rebuilding. You got to do soul work. And it starts with your soul being surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Savior. And, and in your, your home, in your car, on your deck right now, there is no hope of rebuilding anything in your life and anything that will last for eternity if you don't start with the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And, and I would invite you to come to him, to trust him, to turn from anything else that you've been trusting in. Maybe you're 16 years old or 17 years old or 10 years old or 77 years old. I want to encourage you, invite you today to turn to this Jesus. Turn to the great God and trust him with your life. Build from right there on the chief cornerstone. The second part of this blueprint, not only do they worship God's greatness, but they confessed their sinfulness. When they read the word, and the Spirit of God began to work in their life, it exposed their sinfulness. And and today, as we read the Word, and as we apply the Word, and the Spirit of God works in our life according to the Word, uh, what happens is, is that we become convicted of our sin. We begin to see that we fall short of the glory of God. We don't measure up. And you think about that list of of, uh, God's attributes, it kind of shows us where we stand uh, when, when we think about uh, God being a promise keeper, have we ever broken promises? Of course we have. Has he? Never. Uh, we think about God being the, a provider. Have there been times when we haven't provided what others needed? Yes, there has been. When we think about being gracious, have there been times when we've not been gracious toward others? Yes, there have. Have there been times when I've not been merciful? Yes, God is always merciful. Have there been times when I've not been slow to anger, but I've been quick to anger? Yes, there has been. Have there been times when I've been unfaithful to someone or something? Yes. Have there been times when I haven't been good? Yes. All of those are just it's, it's a reminder as we measure ourselves to the glory of God that we fall short of it. We are sinful. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what the, the children of God did here, what the Israelites did here, was that they separated themselves for a time of solemn assembly. And they got before God and they began to realize all that God had done in their past and all the sins that they have committed in their past. I know that our sins by Jesus' blood are covered. But sometimes it helps me to remember the sins that I've committed to remind me of what a great price Jesus has paid. And, and, the, and they remember the sins that they had committed. And they confessed them. What does that mean? 
To confess something means that we agree about something. We agree, in this case, that God is right and we are wrong. We come into agreement with God, where you're willing to say, God, I am not merciful. You are. And God, I have sinned. I have rebelled against you. I have kicked against you. I have resisted you. I've gone my own way instead of going your way. And that's, that's us saying to God, guilty is charged. I confess it. That's right. It, it's the, it would be like you looking at your kids right now playing with Lincoln Logs and them fighting over this key piece and you saying to one of them, now, stop, stop, you're, you're being selfish. And one of the kids looking around at you immediately and saying, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not being selfish. Or one of your kids standing up saying, look what I built. I'm the best builder in our house. And you might say, a little prideful, a little bit prideful. No, I'm not prideful. I'm just good. No, no, you, it, what, what the difference, confession would be, you saying to that child, a little prideful. And that child looking at you and saying, yeah. That was prideful. That was wrong. That's confession. And what's so critical about confession is this. It is fertile soil for revival. And the only way revival is going to happen in the church, in our nation, in our soul, is when we come to a point where we hold up God's glory and see who he is. And then we hold up our sinfulness and see who we are and agree with God, we don't measure up. He's right. We're wrong. And there were four areas that they uh, confessed their sin in. It, it, they, were all, they were related to these four specific areas, and we see them uh, in chapter 10 when they began to um, uh, deal with how they're going to make things right. The, the four areas that they dealt with uh, had to do with uh, giving their sons and daughters uh, to other uh, other nations, to 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 other uh, the, the Bible and the ESV calls says foreigners. Now, don't get hung up on on this and see. Hey, that that's a it's not a it's not a racial statement. It's a religious statement, and that the Israelites were. We're God's chosen people for him to work his plan of redemption for humanity through. And, and in, their, uh, in his work and their life, when they married with other races, it was the equivalent of them marrying their lives to other gods. It wasn't about skin color. It, it wasn't about location on the map. It, it was about their gods. And so when he when they spoke to them about you can just look here in um, in verse twenty eight of chapter ten, verse twenty eight of chapter ten it says the rest of the people the priests the Levites the gatekeepers the singers the temple servants and all who separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. 
their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. It says, join with their brothers, nobles, enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. Verse 30. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. It was them saying we are not going to give our daughters and our sons to other gods, to, to other beliefs, to, to the idols of the world. We have one true God. And the one we stay, the way we stay pure in this is for us to not mix with those who worship other gods when it comes to this intimate relationship of marriage. So they also dealt with Sabbath and rest. And they 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 confessed that they had not handled the Sabbath rest in a holy way. Then it, they speak of the way they handle debt. In verse uh, 31, it says, And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. They were confessing that they had mistreated the Sabbath and the rest of God. And then this last, And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. They were putting into words here that they had failed God when it came to relationships with other faiths when it came to Sabbath and rest, when it came to debt and release, and when it, came to, uh, uh, when it came to the way, finally, they dealt with the house of the Lord. In verses 32 down through, through the end of the chapter, they began to talk about their giving to the house of the Lord. It says, we also, verse 32, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give a yearly to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. And then the rest of this chapter deals with how they will give multiple tithes to the house of the Lord. And their summary statement at the end of chapter 10 is this. We will not neglect the house of our God. And that's the sin they dealt with. So I ask this question. How does that relate to us? Well, let me give you four quick questions. These four quick questions would, would, would just simply be in line with what the sins they confessed, uh, a, a question for us to evaluate our heart and life, to see if these are areas that we've fallen short, if, see if this is where we need soul work. Number one would be this. Have we married, have we married our families to the gods of this world? Just, just evaluate. You may say, no. Yes. Remember, confession is just agreeing with God with what he has said is wrong. Have we married our families to the gods of this world? Number two, have we refused to build rest into our lives? When I say that, I mean a rest, a, a rest that weekly refocuses our lives on God's greatness? Have we refused to build rest into our lives? Number three, have we held on to what we believe others owe us? 
Now, I'm not, I'm not prepared and I'm not smart enough to know how this works into a lot of our financial culture. So I want to ask it in this way at least. Is there anything that you're holding on to that you need to just release somebody from? Something that you've said in your spirit or your heart, they owe me this. I deserve this. They've cheated me out of this. They've wronged me. It's some bitterness. There's some grudge. There's some check in your spirit there. And you're holding on to it. And the principle of God's word is that there comes a day where we just let it go. And we let God in his mercy and his grace and his judgment deal with it. But we let it go. We release people from what we've believed they owed us. And number four, have we neglected our soul's relationship with God? When he asked the question, we will not, when they make the statement, we will not neglect the house of our God, I think 1 Corinthians comes into play here where our hearts, our lives are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think a clear application would be is that we can do things with our treasures and our resources that show that we're giving our heart and our affection to things other than our relationship with God. Third, and I'll be done, they worship God's greatness, they confess their sinfulness, and number three, they pledged a new faithfulness. And, and this is real quick here, and basically what I want to point out to you is that they wrote down their new faithfulness. We have it recorded here for us. We can read who they believed God was, and we can read who they knew they were, and then we read here what they said they were going to do new out of conviction and repentance before God. And sometime this afternoon, sometime tonight, sometime tomorrow, Take advantage of this time where we've had to separate in ways. And write it down. Put it in a journal. Put it on a note card. Stick it in your Bible. Post it somewhere where you would say, this is God where I've failed and this is what I'm going to do new. This is how I'm going to respond new to you. Will this be a time where our nation rebuilds not only our financial system or our economic system or our health system, will it be ultimately a time where our soul is rebuilt? Will we allow God to rebuild in our life our soul, not just our career or our marriage or our relationships? You say, Pastor, what is God doing? What is God doing right now? Why is this happening? I don't know. I would imagine, though, that God's doing 10,000 different things. And, and, and I have no idea the specific thing that he's doing. But I do believe we should recognize this. And that is we have an opportunity to do soul work, unlike a time that we've ever had before. The soul work may need to be that you're going to be saved in these days. The soul work may be that you need to confess and get your soul right before God. Maybe it would be a chance for revival in your soul. 
Maybe it would be a time for you to trust God like you never have before. Maybe it's a chance for you to rebuild your schedules and your life rhythms in accordance with who God is first and then work in all of those other things. I came across some words this week from evangelist Billy Graham that uh, really summarized this very thought of what God is doing in times of trial in our lives and in a nation's life. And as we wrap up our time together here in our worship service, I want you to hear these words from Billy Graham and let the Spirit of God, allow the Spirit of God to work in you to convict and encourage you toward where your trust ultimately is today in your soul.